Hi there, everyone. This is Fox News' Roop Raj on the September 20th edition of Let It Rip. We took on the UAW strike now approaching the first week. And in that first week, so many different opinions. The UAW asking for more than 40% raise. Will they get close? What one union leader told us that may surprise you. And with that, let's let it rip. Time now to let it rip with Congresswoman Haley Stevens from D.C. via Skype. And here in studio, attorney and conservative advocate Terry Johnson. And as always, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton with us as well. A lot to get to. This is uh, you know, going to be a whole half hour dedicated to the UAW. And for good reason. This is what the entire world, the entire country is talking about. Let's begin with a Congresswoman. Uh, i got to start with this, Congresswoman Stevens. I know that uh, Mr. Fain has been you know, coming out and saying a lot of things. Uh, today, Mark Roy the president of General Motors came out and said, look, we got to stop some of this disinformation. Uh, I know that UAW President Fain talked about some of the offers you're getting are that of poverty wages in cases that some of these guys and gals are making. Uh, the base wage offer that GM is making right now, $82,000 a year after benefits, $150,000 plus. That doesn't qualify as poverty wages in your mind, does it? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not going to get in the middle of the negotiation that is squarely between uh, the UAW and the big three. But what I will say is that the stories of workers that I have heard on the picket line and frankly, leading up to this strike is workers are tired, Roop. They're, they're, they're doing 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. I have a friend in the UAW who I've met in this job, uh, known for years now, and I asked him how he was doing. This was earlier this summer. He said, I'm doing the job of two, three people. I'm exhausted. And he's at the later stage in his career. And something that I think is really quite remarkable that is happening right now because of the strike is we are hearing the voice of the worker. Sure. The news is out there on the picket line, and we are talking to the individuals who make this auto industry go round. Certainly, uh, the negotiations are ongoing. We we obviously want to see uh, you know this come out to be the, to the other side with more worker fairness. Ending tears is something that we've heard come up. We know big concessions were made during the auto rescue period sure. from 14 years ago. Let's deliver. Let's talk about those concessions. Terry, uh, you know, Haley Stevens, the congresswoman, was actually working for then-President Obama, trying to help make everything work when the autos were going under. And the auto worker and the auto company said, hey, workers, you got to help us out. Let's take a freeze. And those auto workers did take a freeze yes. in 2008 for four years. That's a long contract to go without a pay raise. And they're basically saying with the cost of inflation and the cost of living, the COLA, uh, we need to go up here. What's wrong with what they're asking? in your mind? Well, again, it, it, I have no problems with people getting raises, um, especially when you look at the UAW and the things that they do. However, what's too much, right? For example, if my kids come to me and they want a higher allowance and a higher allowance and a higher allowance, that's going to take from something else. If you look at the automotive companies, Ford, GM, Stellantis, we look at the profits that they make, however, they reinvest a lot of that into what? New factories, new technology. If those things go away, guess what? Companies like Toyota, companies like Kia, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take over this industry, so we've got to be careful what we ask about and not go too but far. But isn't it in the hands also of the big three to make sure that that doesn't happen, that the business doesn't go to these other companies? By having a sustainable future for the people, the men and women who've broken their backs to make this happen, and if you want to talk about dad and mom and having an allowance, 
The big three in the first half of this year together made $21 billion in profits. That's not revenue, that's profits after all the bills were paid. 21 billion bucks. If my mom and dad had 21 billion bucks and I was asking for a raise, I'd have a lot of questions as to why they were saying no. I understand that, but here's the thing we gotta think about. We also gotta worry about hard times as well. They've gotta put some money up. Again, I'm not saying that I'm anti-union. As of a matter of fact, yeah. you know, I'm. my dad worked for General Motors for as he used to say, 31 years, nine months, and four days. Yeah. So the unions have been very good to me. I'm worried about what could happen down the road if, in fact, we get into something that this can't be sustained. Should the should the uh, UAW workers get more money? Absolutely. But again, how many of us would turn down right now a 20% raise? I mean, look, if we had Charlie's money, it wouldn't be a big deal, right? <laughs> but, but, Charlie's but a money, I'd burn mine. Exactly. But, yeah, but, right. but a 20% you know raise is a lot. I know you're chiming in. Go ahead. Yeah, well, with all due respect, truly, with all due respect, very, very, very few call out when executive pay goes up and up. And I'm not just talking about our auto industry, although there is a major disparity between executive pay and worker pay. This is exacerbating all across America. Tens and tens of millions of dollars CEOs make as compared to our everyday workers, our people who make businesses go around. We haven't upped the minimum wage in this country and we have a challenge here. And so. Look, that's great that Terry's saying that he is, is supports union. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, we got a twice impeached president who's saying he wants to come to town and, you know, cheer on the UAW when he was one of the most anti-union presidents in recent history. I'm here in Congress. I want to pass the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. This is this well, is the two Char Charlie, Charlie, I want to, I, I want to ask you a question, Charlie. Yeah. Mary Barra, uh, Mr. Farley, the head of Stellantis, do they have any idea what it's like to walk in the shoes of a UAW worker who's making beginning at 17 bucks an hour? I don't think that's the issue. I, they, I don't know. They probably, they, maybe they've been on the plant floor. Listen, Mary Barrow makes a lot of money. There's a very few Mary Barrows in the world. These people have right. made very big decisions. It's a very difficult job. There's, you know, these are hard jobs. The, the way I look at it, though, is like years ago, uh, they, the, the workers lost COLA, cost of living payment. That's cost of living. We're not talking very much money over here. And the unions gave a concession because the company at the time needed it. Then they gave away pensions. Now, Pensions are security. Now, I understand they replaced them with 401ks. I understand that. But this is something the workers want now. As far as the profit goes, there is a relationship between the profits and profit sharing. Sure, so correct. theoretically, if there's more profits, the workers do get more profit. Now, the workers want more. But there's a way to do this. There's a way to tie more money with the profitability of the company. Now, you can say, well, you can, you know, and anyone has run a business, if you have profit, you can spend your profits and lower them. So maybe you'd want to put some union people on the leadership boards perhaps, because maybe there'd be a little check on how companies spend the money. But the bottom line here is that I think I think everybody can win in this situation, but you're going to have to do it a little bit differently. I think if they want pensions, that's fine. Eliminate the tiers, that should be, but cost of living should be a no-brainer. I can't agree. imagine that. So I, think, I agree with that. I agree. That. So you agree yeah. on that, but Terry, I want to ask you a little bit about history. When you look at what these strikes have produced in the past, these strikes in years past, in decades past, anytime there's a strike, there's, there's a real change to the constitution of the way people think about it certain jobs. That's what these strikes are about. They've won concessions before. The first employer-paid health insurance plan came because of a strike, and back then, they thought it was insane. How could a company afford to give health care to a worker? But that was the beginning. Do you think that perhaps people are
people are being dinosaurs out there thinking, oh, we, we can't give up 30, 31, 32 percent raises. Don't they deserve well, that much? Well, well, here's the thing. Again, you have to look at the full economic cost of that, right? 30, 32 percent raises. Where does it come from? That's number one. Number two, you also well, have sir, to. It comes from $150 billion but, but, worth but here's of revenue. The, but, They're but making here's the too thing. much money. Let's be honest. They're making, They're making too much money. But hang on. That's today, but let's, let's really look at this. You also want to work 32 hours and get paid for 40. I, I got an issue with that. I do. Because, again, what it really comes down to is we have to be smart about the next steps. And the Congresswoman mentioned, you know, hey, Donald Trump's coming. And I, hey, where's Joe Biden? Okay, I don't want to turn this political. He hasn't been around forever. But, but the bigger thing is, where is the United States government in this to say, hey, what you know what? What do you want him to do? I'd at least like him to wake up and come out here and, and say hi to. Join the picket line, maybe? Well, hey, the rest of everyone has. Donald Trump's joining the picket I, line. I, I want to ask <laughs> there you, you go. Congresswoman Stevens, I want to ask you a question about these two. We have the, the former president, Donald Trump, as you say, showing up here. Uh, Mr. Fain said in a statement just yesterday this guy is a billionaire who does not understand what you as a worker uh, are going through. Then you have Joe Biden, who's pushing electric vehicles and he's pushing electric vehicles in a big way and there's a lot of union workers out there who say this is too much this president shouldn't be doing that how does this throw the balance of power out when it comes to the support system that the UAW has for either man well, it's certainly not uh, President Biden who is exclusively pushing electric vehicles. In fact, it's where the world is moving group. 50% uh, no. of automobiles sold in Europe were uh, electric vehicle. And the reality is is that we want to be globally competitive. And the automakers for because years... They could put them out of work, though. Exactly. They could put them out of work. These workers who are watching right now, they're worried that those electric car companies are going to put out 10, 20, 30,000 jobs out of 150,000 because you don't need as many workers to make an electric car. That's a real concern they have. And, and Rube Ford well, lost $4.5 billion on electric vehicles alone. But Congresswoman, when you hear But those, that's why the value of work in this point that we all seem to agree on, which I'm delighted to hear about raises and paying workers what they are due is absolutely essential. That's what's going to move this industry forward. It, we're seeing this with artificial intelligence and the SAG after strike. We've seen this before with technological revolutions, and it is about the dignity of work and the payment of work. We have to deal workers in. That is how this gets sustained. And frankly, we're setting a standard for the world here. So Char this is a big moment here in Michigan. The world is absolutely watching. Charlie, who gets hurt by not showing up or showing up? Donald Trump comes next week. Mr. Fain tells his people, don't listen to this billionaire. Joe Biden doesn't show up as the president. What's a UAW worker to think who's on the line right now? I think the UAW wants a contract. I don't think they can. And I think they wish that both of these presidential presidents or presidential candidates would stay home. Because I think that this is really, the president has really little power. She, yeah. He cannot order these workers back to work. So legally, he's got really no power. And he can only get in the middle of stuff. That's probably nothing. Trump's doing it. There's a debate that night, isn't there? Yeah. There oh, is. yes. There September is. Okay. 27th. Very good. There's politics, and the politics should stay right. out of these negotiations. Terry, we have to take a break here, and we're going to be talking more about this throughout this saga that is continuing. We hope it's not a long one. We hope the strike ends for both sides and, and both sides are happy. Congresswoman Haley Stevens, always good to see you. Thanks for joining us here tonight.
And we want to thank you, of course, Terry, for joining thank us you. as well. Up next, a guy who knows a thing or two about the bargaining table, the former head of the Detroit Federation of Teachers. We'll get his thoughts on this battle, plus why one conservative says the UAW's move could be a disaster for both sides. Back now, let her rip, keeping the conversation about the UAW strike. I'm joined now by Republican strategist Jason Cable Rowe and former Detroit Federation of Teachers President Keith Johnson, and of course, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton with us as well. We have some th three really great perspectives with us. We have an attorney, we have a conservative, we have someone who has worked uh, with a union before to try to bring about change. Uh, I'm going to begin with you, uh, Keith, a little bit about what happened. When I first met you back in 2009, Detroit Federation of Teachers and the Detroit School District were really button heads. Do you think when you see the UAW and what they're asking, 40-plus percent more, that that's a reasonable ask? I, I think, to be honest with you, I think it is an extreme. Um, and this is one of the reasons why uh, I never negotiated through the media. I did my negotiation at the table. I would not reveal what it was that I was seeking. And part of the reason for that is I believe it's, it's rather risky to overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, and I you mean, think it's a mistake that Mr. Fain's going in the I, public social media and talking about the I think it's risky because I think that uh, there's a level of expectation that the rank and file will have when you come out and say, you know, we demand 46 percent, we demand a 32-hour work week and get paid for 40. And if those things don't come to fruition, even if you negotiate a very good and serviceable and sustainable contract, you're going to have dissidents who are going to say, well, yeah, he said we were going to get this, that, and the other and all we got was this but and that. We didn't get the other. Ultimately, they're the ones who are going to be voting on this contract. And if you're a worker and, yeah, you say, hey, yeah, he was asking for 40-some, but I'm going to end up at 30-some and the autos are offering 20, I'm doing better than I was yesterday. Isn't that good enough? It, it, for, for many members, it will be. Uh, but like I said, that's one of the reasons why you don't over-promise. It's really better to under-promise than over-deliver. <laughs> you know, if you say we're going to seek, we're going to seek 15% or 20% over the next four years, and you end up with 28%, which, quite frankly, my personal belief, I think that's the middle ground that they'll yeah, ultimately he, he reach. Get, he had to get elected, though. That's a big difference Oh, absolutely. Now. So when he was running for this job, he was promising lots of stuff to well, get elected. And, and, he, and, and very few people thing. voted in that particular election mm -hmm. with the UAW, and only 500 votes separated him from yeah. getting the job right. or not. But I, I want to say this, Rube. I think that his strategy is brilliant in that he's, you know, uh, I don't want to say targeting, but he's focusing in on all three of the big three, and he is strategically identifying the plants that they will focus upon. Because if you shut down the stamping plant, you shut down the, the transmission you plant, bring them to their knees. you bring them to their knees and you compel them to come to the table. But I think that there are three things that have to occur. I think that there has to be a substantial wage increase that is sustainable. And by sustainable, I mean protecting jobs and still giving the, the companies the 
flexibility to invest in technology well, and advancement and, and retraining of the workers. Sure. And the tier system absolutely has to go. What I would think is that maybe you have someone who's a new employee, they're on that tier, you're a, a probationary period of one year to demonstrate that they are dependable workers, good workers, and, and then they, move, then they move up with everybody so, else. Well, the tier system is, is up against debate. Mark Royce, uh, just today, the president of General Motors, uh, suggesting that perhaps we can still do uh, a tier, but not 90 days. Why not do four years, right? Why don't we do a four-year Too strike? long. Too, Too long, long to you. Jason Cable wrote, I got to ask you a little bit about this. Uh, when, you, when you look at how much money these executives make, and I get what Charlie said. It's an important and a very unique job. But when you're making $21, billion, you know, $21 million a year, uh, and the first half of the year, the big three make $21 billion, and then they say, we just can't afford a 40% raise. There's a lot of people going, are you sure? Well, I think you got to look at it in a broader context for the economy. UPS just negotiated new contracts. UPS drivers are now making $170,000 a year. Right now, the U.S. automakers are paying, when you take wages and benefits, $66 an hour for, uh, uh, for their workers. Meanwhile, the winners in all this right now are the Japanese automakers and Tesla, who are down south. They are in non-union states. They're paying $45 an hour. If Sean Fain gets his way on this, the U.S. Automakers are going to be paying $136 an hour in wages and benefits, more than double of what they're paying today. Now, how do our automakers, which generate 6.5% of Michigan's GDP, compete with the, the low-tax states, the low-regulation states, the non-union states that we are seeing the automakers shift to? Um, how do our guys you, compete? You how do they even if compete? If you end up giving these folks uh, a 32% raise after they took a freeze in 2008 for four years, and didn't get a cost of living increase in so many years, so many contracts. Wouldn't this just be fair? Isn't this the price of there is business? a fairness part? And I do. I mean, obviously they are entitled. I mean, the cola should come up. Well, my, my point on the costs here. You know who's going to suffer? is all the rest of us that aren't involved here. UPS is driving up costs. Right now, logistics are one of the most important things going on in the country because we're all ordering on Amazon and everything else. The, we're going to, as consumers, be paying higher prices for everything. The auto industry is one of the largest parts of our economy. And if you don't think that these increased wage costs are going to drive up cars, that's, we're going to be paying that cost. So but, the inflationary effect that they got shafted on with the coal. The cost is already skyrocketed. But, okay, but everything that, right? is. And we're going to keep adding to it. And it is not going to stop with the UAW. After what UPS just got, and if UAW gets their way, you're going to see every union and every other segment of this economy saying, where's mine? And it's going to drive up the cost of everything that we buy. But the question that Rupa asked, I think, was, are these executives making too much money? They are 100% making too much well, money. But you know the other question? Well, do you think that why they're going to take a pay? Why should they take a pay? Why are contract? Michigan taxpayers giving them billions of dollars to build their facilities in here when they have all that cash? Because, That's a question that isn't being asked. Because if they don't, then they'll go overseas. And let us, let so when us do not, the taxpayers let, stop let, getting let us screwed not forget here. the fact that it's not like uh, the big three don't have the option of going offshore, and that's the one thing we do and not that's want. To, that's the one thing we do not want to happen. Which is why I said it's going to be very important that the UAW negotiate a contract that is sustainable, that allows them to not only invest in technology but to invest in the workers themselves. But because, Keith, I want to ask you this 
this question, though. The investment into the electric, whether you like it or not, uh, and everyone wants to say, look, my neighbor down the road doesn't like electric, and the people in America don't love electric. In the meantime, China, no one likes is a, China's a major market. India is a major market. It's a global market. Mary Barra is not just working for American car consumers. That's correct. And so when we have electrification going on across the world, maybe not in America with the zest and the zeal that's happening elsewhere, we know that they have to convert. So we know it's going to cost $1.2 trillion to convert some of these factories and change into electric. Can they afford to pay people 40% more when they're trying to look out for their own future? Well, and that's why I say I think that the 46%, it over, even over a four-year period, is, but what is about an extreme. Is that too much? Uh, I don't think it's too much, but I think I really do believe that the middle ground will be somewhere around 28% uh, over four years. I mean, and look, that's still 7% a year, and when you compound one on top of the other, it actually comes out to closer, closer to 30 percent than it does 28 when because seven on top of seven on top of seven on top of seven and then you also have to factor in you know the overtime that the, that the folks work and, and getting back to the executives we aren't just talking about base salary with them of 23 million dollars 30 million dollars there's stock options there's bonuses that they receive on top of their base salary so there has to be some equity here in terms of how you divide and, and, and invest those profits and there is no no aspect of this that is more important than the people who are producing the products that we do, buy. Do you believe when Jim Farley says, if we give our Ford workers 40% raises, we'll go broke? No. No. I don't believe it. I think what you've got to do is I think you've got to tie some of these raises to the profits of the company. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can just say, I'm going to give them 40%. Yes, give them 40%, but if you make 40% in profit, then yes, that, that makes sense to me. I don't think, I think that, I think we're having a, a, if you look in the future, I think we can all agree, I think, that we're going to have less jobs. Your teachers went through this. Absolutely. You were, when you were negotiating your teacher's contracts, there were a lot more teachers than there are today. Absolutely. And so the company can just say, we are, we don't, we're not getting enough people in our district, we're cutting jobs. But you and know, Charlie, you, you, but you know, you know why I envy, I envy President Fain because while he, he's negotiating with entities that have had record profits, I was negotiating with an entity that was on the verge of bankruptcy. And had I not you negotiated know, the contracts that I did, not only would DPS have gone bankrupt, but the DFT would have become null and void because once you declare bankruptcy, your collective bargaining agreements are gone. Let me, Jason, I know, but I, I know. back to the pay scale because perspective is everything. When you look at scale, when you just throw out numbers like they made $150 billion in revenue, it's easy for us to say that's a heck of a lot of money. But when you really look at, for instance, Mary Barra's salary in 2022, $29 million at the end of the day, that's 362 times the median income of any other GM worker. 362. If my CEO was making 362 times what I was making and I was asking he, for he a raise, Listen, I'm no apologist for the CEOs yeah. and the executives and their disproportionate salaries. I'm trying to look at the big picture yeah. here about what's going to happen to the Michigan economy, because if we start paying this, regardless of how you feel about the, the compensation to the executives, they're going to look for cost-cutting measures, and that's going to be automation, and that's we, going to be leaving our state sure. and going to low-tax states, low-cost no, no states. How long must it be carried on the back of the rank-and-file workers? Let us not forget that going back to 
$266 an hour it is way beyond carrying on the back of the back in 2009 when these tears first came into fruition it was to save General Motors save Chrysler save Ford it was a tremendous sacrifice along with coal we're going to be back on the other side of the break with some final thoughts UAW strike. What do you think? Um, I think uh, they deserve to be heard. The people that are doing the hard labor really not getting the raises, you know, that's equal to the cost of living. Can the government do more to help end this strike? Uh, I'm not sure what the government can do. They, they, they weighed in back in the late 70s and the early 80s when they, I think they needed to with respect to uh, the potential monopoly situation back then. I don't think we have that situation anymore. You're asking the wrong people. We work for Ford on the salary side. Do you think that the, uh, the politicians, maybe the president, can come in and settle this strike? Uh, probably not this president. How long will this strike last? Oh, hopefully no more than a week or two. I think it lasts as long as it needs to last until both sides walk away with what they need to make it work. Final thoughts, Keith. A mutual gain uh, collective bargaining agreement. A win-win, if you will. And, and a win-win is possible. Allows the company to continue to invest. Allows the workers to recover from the sacrifices they've made. Jason. I think one thing that we left out of this is the government mandates requiring these electric vehicle uh, manufacturing that's going on. And it's a lot of non-union jobs. Michigan taxpayers gave billions of dollars to the auto industry. They've turned around and created arrangements in which they're creating non-union jobs when they promise to pay uh, good labor uh, union job. Charlie, you're on the ground with a rank and file every day. Well, I, think, I think the government should stay out of it. I know there are a lot of politicians that want to get some airtime, but I think these two can work it out. I do think it's all these increases are going to have to be tied to profits. All right. I think uh, a lot of the workers on the ground may be telling both Biden and Trump, stay out of this. Stay we just out. want a good deal, and that's what they're looking for. That does it for this edition of Let It Rip. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.